Hi, this is AC Chakrabarty, CEO at Higher Logic, and you are listening to the SME Podcast. You are now listening to the next great small business podcast. Welcome to the SME Stories Podcast, where it is all about small businesses in Canada. And here's your host, Ken Alfred. Hey everybody, thanks for downloading the show. We got a great episode today with AC Chakrabarty of Higher Logic. So a little bit about what Higher Logic is. Higher Logic solves modern hiring challenges on a platform that supports guided video interviews, machine learning assisted candidate rankings, and AI infused analytics to enable a better unbiased data-driven hiring decisions. It is built on decades of recruiting experience and provides a unique methodology for comprehensively assessing and finding the best candidates with hundreds of bias screen templates and AI models trained on thousands of historical interviews. So a little bit about AC. AC is an experienced technology entrepreneur and CEO and board member with proven capabilities in early stage startups from capital raises to exits. AC was most recently the vice president at TIPCO through the acquisition of his startup Nanoscale IO. Prior to that, AC was a global vice president and general manager at SAP, where he managed the carbon and energy related cloud-based solutions business. AC was also co-founder of Clear Standards, a venture-backed startup that was acquired by SAP. SC was an executive at Siebel Systems Incorporated, which was later acquired by Oracle, and a management consultant with PricewaterhouseCooper. Mr. Chakrabarty holds a BS in Information Systems and Accounting from George Mason University and is a graduate of the executive program at Harvard Business School. So that was a lot to say about AC. So we know we have a very knowledgeable guest that's going to give us a lot of great stories. So sit back and absorb. All right. We have AC Chakrabarty from Higher Logic. AC, how are you doing, my friend? I'm doing wonderful. Ken, how are you? Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Glad to have you on here. And like I said, AC is like another guest from the United States. So it looks like we're starting to branch out into North America, not just Canada anymore. So that's great to hear. So, all right. AC, Chakrabarty, Higher Logic, what's your story? So um, I'll just give you my background a little bit, Ken, so it make you uh, maybe familiarize myself with your audience. Uh, look, I'm a software guy. I am based in the Washington DC area, but surprisingly, most of my friends live in California because although I lived in DC, I've only worked for California companies. So I started at Siebel, Oracle, SAP, the big software houses, but um, I transitioned to becoming an entrepreneur. I did uh, three startups, sold the first one to SAP, a company called Clear Standards, another one to private equity, and the third one to Tipco, which is another big software company. So my DNA, if you think about it, is really at the heart of it, rooted in software, but I'm an entrepreneur. I like founding companies and then taking them to scale and harvesting them kind of sensible. So that's sort of my, my background. Yeah. And, and you talk a little more about higher logic. Cause I mean, the listeners, I mean, if you haven't heard of higher logic, I would say go. And I, when I was watching the overview on the YouTube video, I was like, wow, that's actually pretty cool. I've never seen anything like, are you able to briefly describe a little bit about higher logic? Absolutely. So, you know, um, if you look at the first part of my background, being in a general management role, managing companies and divisions, what I've learned is people do a pretty bad job of the act of interviewing. We spend a lot of money, a lot of technology in recruiting and getting candidates into what I call the top of the hiring funnel. Then as they kind of filter through screening processes and they actually get to the interview, let me kind of describe for you um, somewhat of a joking way how interviews happen today across the world. 
let's say that I've got an interview at 10 a.m. at 9.45. I put my coffee down and I'm, I look at the resume, scribble some notes. I do this interview. Then my colleague does an interview. We, we talk to each other, give a thumbs up, thumbs down, and then off we go. See, in that process, I think we've missed a few things. One, we've compared apples to grapes because it's like your gut instinct versus mine. And we didn't really look at soft skills, the culture fit of a candidate and all that sort of good stuff. And did I really capture everything I should have in my handwritten notes? So this is something that's kind of first frustrated me as a um, and as a manager over my career, and I felt like we spend, again, so much time and money in the recruiting process. And if you hire the wrong person, um, and they could be a wonderful person, bring all, brings all the right skills, but it just doesn't work out. It's a, it's a, it's a huge cost to the, that individual and it's a huge cost to your business. So I felt like with higher logic, we can actually focus on the act of interviewing and make that better. And what I mean by better is, how can we infuse sensible technology that makes life easier, but enables us to compare people in an apples to apples way and have um, modern technologies like machine learning and AI that listens to a conversation and creates insights. And so we started Higher Logic um, to basically do that, which is, join this human conversation, understand what was discussed and how do we take those insights and give human beings a better framework to make a hiring decision. And you know what the fact of it is? I, I and my colleagues have made a conscious decision to, to limit or put guardrails around AI because I do not believe we should empower AI to make a decision for us. And so with higher logic, we drew a clear red line and said that AI is only there to bubble up insights, but not to nudge or push or declare hire so-and-so over so-and-so. Um, oh, and that's okay. really the framework of higher logic is how do we help the human being make a better decision so the candidate and the company gets a better outcome? Well, yeah, I think that brings a good point, actually, because I think uh, a lot of small businesses, especially when they have to start bringing people in, you know, a lot of them will either go with family, friends, referrals or whatever. But we don't know if that person can, one, is technically sound to do the job or two, they may be technically sound and have all the credentials up the yin yang, but yeah. they may have a toxic personality. Then do you want yeah. to bring that into your into your company and change your culture? Yeah. Right? Precisely. And, you know, what I'll add to that is this. Recruiting firms, whether they're executive recruiters or any other type of recruiter, their day job, their day job is to interview. Small businesses, our day job is to run a company, is to worry about revenue, profits, and losses, to, to build, create, and deliver or ship product to serve our customers. So we actually, um, in our day job, aren't great at interviews. And, I, and I'm not going to generalize, but I would say by and large, there are a few business owners that can actually put up their hands and say, I'm, I'm amazing at interviews. So here's a piece of technology that can join the conversation and actually pick up on information that you as an interviewer may have missed because that's not what you do as a professional because you're running a business. 
And I think that is a way for us to um, protect our blind, our, our blind side, right? So it's not like we can, it, it blinds us to, uh, blind, a lane changes us for your car because you can change lanes with mirrors. We can all do it, but it's nice to have that little indicator that says, hey, there's something here to look out for. And that's kind of where the roll up higher logic is, is to help that small business owner understand what their risks are and give them more insights. Well, that, that's really interesting, right? Because I know I'd be a horrible hiring person because I did interviews many years ago. And the reason why I would be a horrible interviewer is that I always give people the benefit of the doubt. So they can kind of say, because I'm, you know, I'm very sociable, like, like you said, we're talking right now. And that uh, if I hear, let's say, a, you know, a nice story or something, I'm, I'm more willing to give them, oh, yeah, this, I could do, I could, you know, but then I would talk to fellow people who are hiring and they're like, yeah, this person is definitely not going to work. I'm like, really? So I have <laughs> plenty of blind spots. So I think whenever I'm ready to actually grow my, my, my team and actually then maybe I will have to look into higher logic. So, um, a question for you then. So how big is your firm right now? Cause you're, you said you start up all these different firms and you yeah. know, how, how big are you guys right now? Uh, we're about 50 people in the company. 50 right people. Now. Wow. And it's a software company. So I would say the lion's share of them are software developers and engineers. Okay. Excellent. And do you plan on like growing that team or, or maybe expanding to more, yeah. more places and stuff? Absolutely. As a matter of fact, you know, um, I, I sort of believed in hiring the best person for the job, regardless of where they live. I think uh, going through the pandemic forced all of us to think in that way. I see most companies are looking for talent wherever they are. And we, as a, um, as a, as a, as a, as a general sort of workforce coming out of the pandemic, I think are leveraging the tools and technologies that helped us get through it. So from my point of view, in terms of ramping up and growing, I've got a team in Slovakia, Argentina, New Delhi, India, San Francisco, Dallas, all over the place. And we make it work through technology. And we also try to get together once in a while so that we actually make the face-to-face the -face human connection. So like at the, at the corporate headquarters, everyone flies in? Is that how it goes? No, we'll pick a city that we think is closest and we'll rent, right? It'll take, take like, say, we'll fly into Dallas and we might stay at the Marriott and all kind of congregate, go out to dinner, do our brainstorming and have some fun. <laughs> oh, that's great. It's nice to hear because I think when people think of, you know, you're having, you're having like a remote workforce and stuff like that, you know, sometimes you'll never see each other. I'm like, well, it's kind of nice, but you know, it's nice to also be able, like you said, meeting once in a while to actually be like, oh, okay, now, oh, that's how tall you are. Because, you know, when you're sitting at your desk, you're working remotely, maybe you're doing through Zoom or Teams, you don't really see any, you can see their face, but you can only do that so much without actually, you know, the handshaking or the elbow bump, whatever yeah, the thing yeah. is that people are comfortable doing. So we also don't get a chance to kind of chit chat about other things in life. Like, yeah. you know, I have a wonderful chief technology officer who is a PhD in computer science, amazingly qualified guy. But I learned just by meeting up with him that he's a national karate champion and a gold medalist. <laughs> and he has his own dojo in San Francisco and he's a competitive martial artist. I mean, it's, it's these types of things that people don't bring up in their interviews and who we are outside of our day job that I think we can, we just get to know each other so much better when we're in person. I almost think you should have led with that. I wonder if that's why you hired him. Was there, I'm a former karate champion. Uh, you're hired. 
Please don't yeah. hurt me, right? So, <laughs> well, no, that, that's really interesting to know because I, I always think when I used to interview, I used to interview very well. That that's why I had a lot of jobs in my last time. Is that like you said, very sociable, I like to chit chat and, and talk about that. That'd be something I'd lead with, just so they can remember me. Because yeah, the, the resumes will be there and all sure. about that. So, question then for you. So, what was it about the HR and the recruiting and the hiring process that really kind of got you there? So, are you just going to stick to that uh, particular area, or are you planning on? doing different types of software platforms you know, as well? That's an interesting question. I think right now we're applying our technology to hiring. Now, what I, what I do believe, firmly believe, that we can also apply the same technology to performance reviews, exit interviews, and other sort of important, let's call it people conversations in the workplace. Um, think about it. You know, when, when in a big company, when you do a performance review, or in a small company do a performance review, how much of that actually gets captured and how much of it do we write down? Are we, are we really focusing on the, on the person's aspirations, their goals and things like that? Um, and how does it compare to when we first hired them? So one of the things we wanna do with our technology is look at what we're learning in the very beginning, in the recruiting side, look at where that person is in the, in, inside the, the job, and then start to kind of thread the needle so we can take the best attributes and learnings from our employees and also reapply that back to the hiring process, thereby threading that needle. And so, so I it's do gonna be like, so it's more like a modular kind of thing. So obviously you still offer like the recruiting yeah. and the hiring, but there's other pieces that can be added on or are they all kind of standalone if they needed to be? So if a company says, oh, we don't want to do that, we can want the performance yeah. view, we want that. Oh, that's yeah. great. Well, one, of the, one of the interesting things that we did is we're thinking of a new module right now around compliance. And what I mean by compliance is that there's more and more state-based regulations that people are just not aware of. So as an example, if you hire someone in California, let's say you're doing an interview, the candidate lives in California, you can't actually ask them about their compensation. It's not legal. You can't. Oh, really? Well, you, know, you can't ask. Wow. You ask in, in certain states, you can't ask, what year did you graduate high school? How old are your kids? Because anything that relates back to how old they might be or how much they made. Oh. Yeah. And so these are subtleties that, you know, can a business know all this stuff? No, but you can easily get sued for it. Right. And so what people do is they, you know, they react. And so they'll hire a lawyer to, to deal with it. I think because we are at the point of the interview, we can let you know, hey, Ken, you're interviewing AC. He's based in California. These are the no-go areas. And then after the interview, we've got the transcription. We'll run our analytics and say, oh, by the way, Ken, you know, you, here's uh, you know, four of the 25 questions that you should not have asked. So that helps actually educate, coach, and make your people into better interviewers. While bringing the overall risk down, so that's an example of a module that I think we're we're going to launch here very soon. Wow, that's pretty cool, actually. I mean, didn't really think I can get into that. So let me ask you this then. So what is it about the software and this? I guess in this case, like the I'll call it the HR side, yeah. that uh, a lot of people don't really know about the industry. Like if someone wanted to say, okay, I want to do something similar to what AC is doing, what should they kind of know if they say, okay, I like HR and I'm a software developer and I want to kind of focus on that. What are the things that uh, they're going to be surprised because they think, oh, I can just develop something and I know some HR policies, but what would you, th what would you say uh, to them? I'll say uh, let me talk about, first, let me talk about the opportunity and then I'll talk a little bit about 
the challenges. Um, I think we are at a interesting inflection point in HR because the world has changed. The future of work is now and you can say that the pandemic was, has accelerated it, but I think it was already changing. And given that it's a global workforce, I think there's a new set of platforms, tools, and technologies that are quite relevant and needs to be updated or introduced to help the future of work. So that's the opportunity. I think if you look at people working from home and doing many different kinds of jobs, imagine all of the different creative ways that we can collaborate and be better in our roles. We recently saw Adobe pay $20 billion to buy Figma, which is a collaborative design. If you look at Figma, Figma, I use Figma. I have designers in Argentina that are, that are collaborating with me here in DC. And so there's a new set of tools and technologies that enables the future of work. So that's the opportunity. And I think HR is squarely in there because uh, now more than ever, they're challenged with hiring, retaining, um, growing the talent of their, uh, their, their talent of their employees. Now here's the challenges. The challenges is it's a noisy market and there's hype cycles, right? So everyone's talking about diversity, equity, and inclusion without really understanding what that means or how that could be implemented inside a company. So if you wanted to say, we want to be more diverse, more equitable, and more inclusive, well, what does that exactly mean? Um, and every single uh, vendor provider to HR is using DEI and other terms, thereby making the market noisy. So my suggestion to um, folks that are looking at this as an opportunity that want to perhaps explore creating solutions for the future of work, I would say interview and talk to customers. Look at what their challenges are, but at the same time, be innovative. So look at your own experiences and look for the gap, that un unmet need, and see if there's a solution that you can create. That's my oh, advice to you. Well, it's interesting. That's a great tip from the pro thing. And like I said, I'm telling you listeners right now, normally we go for about an hour, but we have only just a few minutes of AC's time. So we're trying to grab as many questions as we can and try to lump as many things as we can. Hey, do you need an error-free website? Do you need transcription that's accurate and on time? Would you like to remove noise from your video or audio recording? Do you need a spokesperson for your business? If so, we can help. At Northway Capital Group, we are happy to announce that we are now providing website testing services, audio transcriptions, and audio cleanup, as well as spokesperson services. We would love to help you on your next project. Contact us for more information at northwaycapitalgroup at gmail.com. Now it's time for tips from the pro. So that was from the tips from the pro side. I was going to add one more question there. What would you say is the best billing practices for someone getting into this? Should it be a per project? Should it be a monthly thing? Should it be a perpetual license? Or Yeah, no? so um, I'll give you my, my personal experience. I think companies are already used to paying a subscription price uh, because others have already set that, that sort of mode of, of, of charging. So I would say whether you're providing pure technology like I am, that's a subscription we charge monthly and yearly, depending on what the customers want. But if you're providing a service, I do think you can provide a managed service also in a sort of billable, not times and time and materials, but a subscription. So X, 
dollars per month I give you Y amount of value. I think that's no. the model that's probably the best at this time. Okay. No, that's great here. And what is your best advice for, like I said, the upside entrepreneur wanting to start this on how to deal with difficult clients? Great question. Um, I think two things. I think I've seen two personas. One persona is uh, eager to solve at, at the clients and their own um, behest. And I, I would suggest, you know, you have to be honest with yourself and say, have I done everything right and possible? Is my moral compass aligned properly? And am I, am I a part of hearts? Feel like I'm doing the right thing for my customer. And if you've exhausted that, then at some point you have to say, this is not the right client. And I have a product market misfit because this mm. is the type of client I do not want. So for example, in my world, um, I've dealt with customers that are in heavily regulated industries. And what they will do is they will take all of the onerous challenges that they have, and they may push it onto a vendor like me and I'm much smaller. So now I have to make a fundamental choice. Do I spend all my resources to win one client in one regulated industry that may exhaust everything I do and they're being very difficult about it? Or should I walk away from this knowing that it's best for both parts? And I think that's, yeah. that's sort of the vernacular with which we should look at this. Well, no, that's a great point. I think I, a lot of small owners I had on the show were very similar is that it's better to like you said, do that in the pre-screening. Because yeah. the last thing you want is that email Monday morning or over the weekend, you just start dreading. You're like, oh, I got to meet yeah. with this client or that prospect. It's not worth yeah. it. The, 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 the technically, the, the right way to say it is you have to know your buyer's persona. So I would actually do some homework and research ahead of time to understand who is my buyer? What do they care about? And can I, in fact, meet, meet their need with the resources that I have at my disposal? If not, then that's not the right persona. And that's kind of dictate mm. how you go to market. Exactly. And last question before we hit to the rapid fire round here, what is your best advice for just how to maintain a work-life balance, especially in the beginning phases where obviously, especially for software developers, they could be working what, 80, 90 hours a week for all we know. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, I think it's different for different personalities. And what I don't want to do is preach uh, what works for me that it may or may not work for others. But what I will tell you from my personal experience, I think. I always, at the beginning of the day, think of what I'm going to do outside of work or fun in that given day. So for example, I'm a squash player. Squash, when I play squash, I get a lot of stress relief and fun and physical exercise and running and all that sort of stuff. So I will tell myself that, you know what? I've got a packed day, but I'm gonna have my fun is going to be having that what great squash match at the end in the evening, followed by a glass of wine while watching the sunset. <laughs> So it's like, wow. I set that as <laughs> almost a reward for myself and I look forward to it and keep that in the back of my mind. So it lets me know that there is a release valve. So I don't know wow. what your release valve might be, Ken, or, or your audience, but I think we should all think about what is that part of our life that we really want to enjoy outside of work and sprinkle that in. Oh, that's great. Now it's time for the rapid fire round. All right, we'll do the rapid fire round here and we only have a few minutes, so I wanna make sure we grab this. Okay, question number one, AC. What would your 15 year old self be thinking you'd be doing right now? 
Uh, my, when I was 15, I probably wanted to be in the military, and I am nowhere near in the military. <laughs> <laughs> All right, this is a would you rather. Would you rather wear a monitor that beeps when you're lying or beeps when you are attracted to someone? Uh, probably when I'm lying. Yeah, <laughs> okay. <laughs> Excellent. Worst movie sequel ever made? Wow, that's a good one. There's so many. There's uh, <laughs> so many bad ones, apparently. Yeah, I, I would say, I would say probably Terminator. Really? You didn't like Terminator 2? I didn't like Terminator 2. Wow. I liked Terminator 2. I didn't like Terminator 3 or the other ones. Mine was Mortal Kombat, the second one, which was ridiculous. <laughs> I could not believe it. I saw the original. Actually, it was the first movie I saw when I was in my teens that I mm -hmm. went to see it twice. Like the first Mortal Kombat movie back in the mid '90s, yeah. and the minute it, the second one came out, and like half the cast was gone, and I'm like, I don't know any of these people. So you know, interesting. I, I probably older than you. I remember when Mortal Kombat came out, the actual arcade version. And yes, I had it was <laughs> revolutionary, like the combos and things that you could oh, do. Oh yeah, and interesting. Our right, last couple of questions here: yeah. If you could have a sandwich named after you, what would it? What would be on it, and what would it be called? <sighs> Okay, uh, probably what would be on it? It would be some sort of a lean meat, like turkey, uh, a lot of good stuff, like vegetables, eggplant, all that kind of stuff. And it would be called, uh, boy, that's a tough one. Random sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> I would say healthy meal, I don't know. Healthy, we'll call, we'll call it healthy meal. All right, last question here. What is your theme song and why? So that song, you're walking down the sidewalk, that song hits AC. When people hear it, they know, oh, AC's coming. What would that be? Oh, that's a good one. I'm trying to think what I listen to a lot. Uh, hmm. I like Eye of the Tiger. I would probably. There you go. Excellent. Well, well, thank you very much, uh, AC, for being on the show here. Thank Any you. last parting advice for the listeners out there? No, I, I, I think I've given a lot of advice out today, but uh, I think if I, there is one advice. I think given what the world has been through, it's a wonderful time to start a business. It's a wonderful time to be ambitious and chase a market opportunity. So I would encourage all your listeners to go for it. Wow, that's great. Thanks for being on the show, AC. Pleasure, Ken. Do you have a small business story to share? The SME Stories Podcast is looking for entrepreneurs to share their tales of success, failure, and everything. If you're interested in being a guest on our show or know someone would be a great fit, please contact us at northwaycapitalgroup at gmail.com. That's northwaycapitalgroup at gmail.com. Thank you for listening to the SME Stories Podcast, which is owned by Northway Capital Group. Please follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Northway Capital Group.